Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... Plenty of people tell us that you know, once they enter that Perks program, Perks actually becomes their number one app on their phone because they're going there four or five times a day as they manage their health every step of the way. In part two of our chat, Perks Health co-founder and CEO Hugo Rourke reveals the secret sauce that drives the success of the Perks smartphone app to help patients better manage their treatment plans for chronic health conditions like diabetes or heart disease. He also talks of right now trying to crack into and expand in the biggest health market in the world, the United States, how that's rife with challenges alongside the opportunities. And then how do you build trust with outside funders, including governments and large corporates, to support this startup to build it into something substantial and sustainable? Well, take a listen. Hugo Rourke, co-founder and CEO of Perks Health. So good to be speaking to you in part two of our chat. You are a former consultant at McKinsey, you were telling us last time. That's obviously a great career path you could have had. Why did you take the leap and go out on your own? You could have had a fabulous career at McKinsey's if you'd stayed. It's a good question and not one that other people didn't ask me at I'm that sure time they when did. I was I was leaving uh, leaving consulting, and I think there were two reasons. One was that we saw the opportunity to have real impact in the world and in a really scalable way through software. And at that point in our lives, mid twenties, you know, we probably could take more risk than maybe if I yeah. was trying to do this now. Like, so, what have you got to lose? We yeah. need to do it now. If I'm ever going to do this, we've got to do it now. And we also saw that if if we didn't do it that every year delay meant that people weren't getting this kind of support that we believe would ultimately have life-changing impacts for those individuals. So we had that moral obligation to have a crack. Um, We didn't necessarily know that it was going to go amazingly um, over time or that we were going to succeed, but to spend some time having a crack seemed to make sense. The other one for me more personally is that I always wanted more of a sense of ownership and I thought consulting was a wonderful way to start my career and I wouldn't say anything against my against my employer. But ultimately for me, I wanted that sense of ownership over what we do rather than being the advisor, which is the model. Uh, and I couldn't think of anything that was greater ownership than going and founding my own business um, and seeing that through. Well, starting from absolute scratch and uh, and seeing it through, what do you think you learned at McKinsey and have what have you brought of that, what have you brought with you to Perks? Yeah, so I I learned a lot. Like I came, I went into consulting fresh out of university and I did an engineering degree at university. So I wasn't um, exactly your perfect uh, founder at that point. What I learned at McKinsey was definitely a lot related to consumer and what we do at Perks in terms of how to engage people and working across a variety of different um studies as a consultant that was really informative um, in in how we think about that. The other thing I learned a lot, and I was lucky to work with some great minds in in McKinsey, which was 
on on strategy and how to think about business strategy, not just in the day-to-day of making a product, but actually how to think about how do we trade off you know, where Perks operates, but US versus other markets, how to um, go about you know, building the vision and getting, um, I think it's helped us in areas like getting supporters in enterprise customers or venture capitalists interested is harkens back to many of the things that I learned through consulting. We'll get back to the venture capital and the people who've invested. Where did this entrepreneurial streak come from? Are you, are you folks in business? Where do you reckon that came from? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I actually probably don't think of myself so much as an entrepreneur. Um, for whatever reason, that title doesn't necessarily resonate with me. I probably think of myself as more of a builder. Um, and, you know, from having done engineering, that's yeah, probably exactly the exactly. way you think. From yeah. my early days, I was the kid who was, you know, building little make believe boats, or I was um, building things in the garden. I was the engineer at university. Um, and now I'm building a business. Um, and, and that's kind of how I think about it. I, my family, you know, you wouldn't point to and say, oh, they're small business owners and therefore there was always always that streak. But I think the, the thing they always gave me and my two brothers was always that sense of self-belief, that sense, sense that you could, you know, do anything if you put your mind to it and improve yourself. And then secondly to that confidence that the world was a place where you could go and make, make your impact. Um, and ultimately that's what Perks is. It's a vehicle to go and make impact in the world and to help tens of thousands, hopefully one day hundreds of thousands of people to get better outcomes in managing their conditions. Okay. So how many people are you helping? Give us some of your markers of success for Perks and where you are at right now. Yeah. So we currently support around 40,000 people across a dozen customers. Um, And we do that with a very small team of roughly 30. Um, And so what that shows is the scalability of software to be able to support all those people in quite a serious area of, of healthcare. Right. So when you say through customers, you mean, let's take New South Wales Health. Mm-hmm. They're obviously still um, supporting you in, in some way. Um, do you get access to all their patients who have chronic illnesses? Is How does that actually work, the partnerships? Yeah. Well, one day I hope that we have access to support all those patients, but it is piece, moment, it is piece by piece. Yeah. So as I mentioned last week, we started with um, Teresa Anderson at Sydney Local Health District, and we were working in diabetes specifically. We now work in, within that hospital group across five or six different conditions. We now work with a couple of other hospital districts around New South Wales Health. So um, in southwestern Sydney, we have some promising work, southeastern Sydney, um, and a few others as well. And Fantastic. so that shows... Our model as a business is a classic kind of land and expand your impact. So we start working at a pretty small scale, but over time, as we prove that we're a good you know, vendor to work with, that we actually have impact in people's lives, then these customers that we work with have a huge amount of potential in terms of the number of people they support. And the customers that you have, um, you may not want to go into too much detail, but, uh, you know, it's easy to find out. I mean, you mentioned New South Wales Health and some of the health districts in New South Wales, but also Workers um, WorkSafe Victoria. I think you work with QBE on Workers Comp. You work with 
HCF um, for health insurance. You also do health providers. So you do have a number of big clients, big customers, because your clients are really the patients, I guess. How do you um, term both of those? Yeah, so we we think about, I mean, our customers are the ones who pay the bills and ultimately make perks sustainable. So they are those large insurers who you mentioned or large healthcare providers. Um, and then we think of uh, the individuals using our platform as, as participants yes. in the program, but our product needs to solve for them because if we don't solve for those participants, then our whole model falls down. All right. So just back to those uh, customers, how difficult was it to you know pull them on board? I mean, they're big, they're big outfits and here you are, you and Scott, what you knock on the door and say, oh, look, we've got this great product that you really need for your uh, patients or clients. Yeah. How'd you, it, how'd you do it? <laughs> it's been a long journey um, and, and this hasn't happened overnight. This is why, you know, we've been at this for seven years now, slowly building those relationships. And some of those relationships are now multi-year and we've expanded our work and some of those relationships are newer. But we ultimately could not achieve the impact we achieve without those customers. So they need to be in on the journey. They need to believe in us. They need to believe in the product and see see that value. And it's not not every insurer is going to take that risk um, early, especially early on in our business. But as we've been able to prove out the product, we've been able to get more of those types of customers involved. But ultimately, we end up working with the types of customers who want to see you know, innovation. They want to see improvement. They want to see a change in the way things are done and they're not satisfied with And they probably want to see, in the end, lower costs for those uh, perhaps very compromised um, patients. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't probably say compromised. They just have a a lot of comorbidity and a lot of... um, kind of interlocking problems. Yeah, so they need those customers need to see a financial return and that financial return can come in a variety of different ways so it might be healthcare savings. So if we can give this to people who've just been in hospital for a heart attack and it prevents them coming back in within the next 3 months to get because they've had a second heart attack because they're better managing their right. cardiovascular health. Right, and can you prove health. that that is happening? Yeah, we work with all our customers on evaluating our services and showing that kind of impact. So it might be about savings. It might be about you know better better experiences for those individuals as a customer. It also might be operational. So when we work with providers, they often have these. They already have services. Yeah. You know, in the analog world, which might have telephone banks of nurses calling people up trying to encourage them to stick with their treatment plan. And so what we're able to do is come in and say, hey, those nurses only can call that person every fortnight or every month. With perks, you can literally be supporting that person every single day of their life alongside those touch points with clinicians. Yeah. And what sort of engagement are you finding you're getting from the participants, the users of your products? Yeah. So a typical person uses perks four times a day. Four times a day. They'll come on to your app. Yes. And That's it, more than most uh, addicts would use Twitter or, you know, one of the social media outlets. Exactly. And if on many metrics, on that metric, also on um, our monthly engagement rate, which is how often do people come in, um, and that's about 75% of days. So the typical Perks user will be in a month, will be in Perks over 20 days in that month. So it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, but it's also necessary. If you think about our business, we want to be that companion 
every step of the way as people manage their health. And these chronic conditions are daily or multi times a day things to manage. And so we think of that as hygiene um, in terms of being there every day and having that impact in their lives that we want them to be excited to come in every day. And, and plenty of people tell us that you know, once they enter that Perks program, Perks actually becomes their number one app on their phone because they're going there four or five times a day as they manage their health every step of the way. So that's sort of the the commercial partnership and the participant side. How much money have you raised so far through venture capital or angel investors? Yeah, so we've been supported on our journey by a variety of different sources of capital. Very early on, we had early believers who were angels um, and actually an impact fund, Giant Leap Fund, who came on and said, we can see the potential of this business to not just be a good business as an investor, but also have impact. So in they the world. exited yet, or are they still? No, they're still, still in. They're still yep. very much part of the journey. As we've we've talked about, we then were joined by the venture capitalists like Airtree Ventures, um, but we've also been supported on the way through some grants from the federal government and the state government, which have also been really important in our development. So our taxes or- at work. <laughs> well, look, uh, when we then work with New South Wales Health to bring down the cost of care, we think it's a fair a fair return. Yeah. Um, across all those different sources, you're looking at something like 15 to 20 million in, in capital to get us to where we are today. And that's because we're building a very intensive product that people use multiple times a day. We're, we're doing, running clinical trials to prove the value of that. And then we're, you know, partnering with some pretty sophisticated, pretty risk-averse customers and insurers and healthcare providers. And so we need to be absolutely A-grade when it comes to things like security or privacy or even how we deliver um, our services. You know, they, they have high expectations. So Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations. That's, that's you know, a great achievement in, what, six and a half years, really, you've taken to sort of win those people's trust and get those venture capital funds to back what you're doing. Uh, how difficult was the scale-up? I mean, it, it is only sort of under seven years. You've had to hire people, improve the product, no doubt, you know, trust software engineers. How difficult has that scale-up been? Which is something <laughs> that affects all startups, obviously. Yeah, one, 100%. I mean, it's. I don't think startups get easier. As they say in cycling, which is another passion, it doesn't get easier, you just go faster. Um, and I think that's kind of the world in startups. It doesn't get easier, you just do more. Um, I think the thing that we're very lucky at Perks to have is the team that started with my co-founder, Scott, and all the skills he brought to Perks. But I love my position now at Perks because I get to look around and see far better product people than me doing product. I get to see much better people than me interacting with our customers. I get to look around and see people who are managing our internal operations who are really passionate or specialists in in their area. And so that is the transition from a startup to a scale-up where as a startup, you're the generalist um, who has to do a bit of everything, but the really satisfying people, the, the satisfying bit is getting people in who can sit there and basically tell you how you've done it all wrong and how you can do it better. So yeah. it's been a really exciting journey to be on. So can you say whether you're profitable now or on? are you on a path to profitability? Yeah. So we we hope that with our latest fundraise, which we did at the end of last year, 
um, that we have that pathway to profitability if we want it. And you know, we may choose to go for further growth with that capital, but if we want to, we can we can hit profitability. When you think about the customers we work with, you know, they literally have tens of thousands of people they could put on our platform and you know, could be generating millions of dollars of revenue each if we unlock that scale. But to get there, we have to work with them for years and build that trust piece by piece. So our pathway to profitability is working with those customers, continuing to expand our programs and ultimately have more impact on more people's lives. Given that money's no longer free at the moment, um, mm-hmm. as it had, had been for probably you know 10 years, um, and I presume venture's obviously tighter with giving out their money. Um, do they make more demands on you or what will decide you whether to, no, we need to get profitable or no, we need to still go full steam ahead with growth? Yeah. So the big journey for Perks at the moment has been expanding into the US. And the US is the world's largest market for healthcare. Holy grail, surely. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, it's it's also more competitive and it's a very confusing system coming from the other side of the world. It's very different to Australia. So we've had a team on the ground there for a few years now and we work with a few customers across the US, both providers, multi-state providers um, and some insurance plans. And so what we're hoping is that with the latest fundraise, we're able to show that that US market is wide open because there are literally thousands of potential customers over there. Whereas in Australia, if you add up all our potential customers across all verticals of insurance and healthcare providers and public health hospitals, maybe there's a hundred. So it's a different order of magnitude. So that'll be a big factor for us over the next two years is showing that we can take the model that we've proven in Australia that works for individuals managing health conditions, that has the evidence base, that has been a good commercial success and replicate that in the US. Yeah. And have you got participants and users of your product in the United States? Yeah. So at the moment, something like 2,000 people in the US will use Perks every day. Um, and it's fantastic seeing them from all sorts of strange places, from Tennessee to Texas, yeah. um, I like to say. Fantastic. Um, because it's amazing that my team here and we keep our product and engineering onshore in Australia, but the product they build is literally changing lives on the other side of the world while they're sleeping. Um, so it's really great to see that. Fantastic. Happening. With venture, do they uh, do they help? Do they are they very interventionist? Are they interfering? How does it work? And, and are you happy with what they actually give you? Yeah, so I, I I think of the our supporters as building a consortium, and so consortium to build this product and this business to the world. Um, and if that's our long term ambition, is to have impact all around the world in many different places. At the moment, that's Australia, and that's the US. And we're lucky to have around our table each of our three rounds have been led by very different um, venture capitalists. The first one was re- was led by an impact fund who cares about seeing those societal impacts, seeing the healthcare benefits of what Perks is doing. And I think that's set us up with a great core. We already had that as founders, but we had that reinforced from day one by that venture capital fund, Giant Leap. The second lot were tech investors. And there's a lot of what we do that is very tech and you know software subscription sure. services for yeah. enterprise. And our most recent investor is actually has deep healthcare expertise. And so around the table, when we get together, with our investors um, and as a board, we literally have voices talking about 
How do we make sure this is having real impact on people's lives? How do we scale this as a tech product? And how do we make sure it's working within healthcare? So we've been very fortunate to get that consortium of people together to support Scott and I, um, because we were relatively young and we are still young in building this business. So can you pick up the phone and say, oh, um, we're not sure what to do about this issue? Or do they not get down to that nitty gritty level? Uh, If we want to, we can. And, And there's definitely domains where they have expertise each individually. Um, and they're very responsive. I'll always say that. They're very responsive to your needs and they want to see you succeed. They're on that journey. They're investors. They of want course. to see you succeed yeah. as founders. Yeah. What's your secret source, do you think? So our, our secret source is the behavioral science that drives the behavior change. Um, as I will always come back to, the problem of people not managing their health conditions isn't a medical one. It's a behavioral one. And so from day one, we've always thought about how do we bring the best of science and the best consumer tactics to drive behavior change. It's our secret source. It's in our algorithms. It's our team's pedigree is all about driving that behavior change and supporting people to make the changes they want to see and get the best outcome possible. A couple of questions that I'm asking all my guests and just quick answers if you would like. What are you obsessed about at the moment, be it a film, a I think that's a layup for someone who just had a kid six weeks ago. Uh, it has to be my daughter. Oh. Uh, she's been fantastic over the last few weeks and it's definitely it's a life journey um, that my wife and I are super excited to be on. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, that's an oh, easy that's one. An Looking obsession. At that, that's an obsession for sure. at the moment. Very for easy. For sure. It's a, it's a wonder you could spare the time for us today. What's one of the toughest things you've had to do in your startup journey? Yeah, so we've already spoken about you know, 2017 and when we were running out of cash and that was, that was uh, pretty, pretty tough times to, to manage. Um, the company's had other tough times. So, you know, we've had people on the team. I think it's always a journey when you, you let people go for the first time and that's a, a really rough ride. Um, but you learn to, that that is a necessary part of running a team and, and running a business. Um, and there are lots of other hard lessons that go on the way. I think, you know, Every startups and scale-ups always put in the bright lights and people talk about the positives, but they don't necessarily talk about the negatives. Yeah. Well, so what's the biggest lesson you reckon you've learned on this journey so far? Yeah. So I think the biggest lesson for me is probably learning to manage yourself. Um, I think, you know, founders by their nature tend to be the kinds of people who, you know, have a bit of a chip on the shoulder, something to prove in the world. Um, they're probably a little bit more anxious than, than the average person um, and have a lot of drive. And then you lay that up with the uh, highs and lows where you know, the highs are higher and the lows are lower when you're building your business. So you know, managing yourself, managing your own mental health, be it on the downsides or on the positive sides, is really important because building a company you know, is a marathon. And it's literally the one thing I say to all founders is you know, it's not a sprint. People talk about the sprint and the hustle to make a company, but it's actually something that happens over years, decades, lifetimes. Um, and so that is a marathon. And so you've got to learn to manage manage yourself, whether that's, in my case, I, I have a great co-founder who happens to be one of my best mates and we can talk about these things openly, whether it's with family or friends and from time to time with professional help. Those are the kind of things that are really you know, important to learning to manage yourself and going the distance. What would you say to other young people who might have a great idea and think, oh, I want to do what Hugo's done? Yeah, I think 
it, you've got to really look inside and say, what are your motivations for doing this? You know, does your personality match what it takes to be a founder? And there are different types of founders. So have a look around, read their stories. Uh, and then what's the motivation that's going to keep you going day in, day out? Because it's not going to be financial. It's got to be the problem that you're Meaning solving. I want to make a million bucks or a billion bucks. That's not good enough. There's either way, easier ways to make money, I think, than than founding a startup and, and all the odds are against you. So, you know, I don't think that's the right motivation. It's got to be an obsession with the problem. And in our case, that was how do we use behavioral science to support people managing chronic health conditions and and we're still obsessed by by that today so I, I would caution everyone to reflect but equally if you decide that is you then you've also got to go for it and you can't sit around waiting people always tell you you're wrong they won't like your idea that's just part of it but at some point you've got to commit and go for it hugo raw ceo of perks health thank you so much for joining me on build it they'll come thanks for having me helen it's been great to chat I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.